a very blessed day to all of you out there. Today is June the 22nd, 2021, and this is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. My name is Frank Huerta, and I am joined today, as always, by Mr. Alex Kenzie. Hello, sir. Nice guns. You like them? Just got back from the gym. You always catch me after the gym, so. Yeah, it's my favorite part of the day, really. <laughs> I just want to impress you. It's That's the only reason I work out. You know what you should do also? Hmm. It's just take like five minutes a day. It's probably all you need. And just stand in the sun, man. <laughs> just bask it in for a little bit. At least show the people that there's an effort. I was thinking, yeah, I take my vitamin D pills, but that doesn't really give me the uh, darkening factors of the sun. No, it's not a two-way street there. The sun <laughs> it provides you vitamin D, but the vitamin D does not provide you the melanin. <laughs> I do need to work on that, man. I do, I, Dude, if you could golf with a sleeveless shirt, I'd be all set. I don't give know me, who says you can't. Give me a fucking uh, golf, a sleeveless golf shirt with a collar. I'll wear the shit out of that thing. You should just buy uh, the ladies' polos without any sleeves. Is that how they make them? Some of them, yeah. Oh, I should. I Why should. is that that women can wear... It's like appropriate for women to go sleeveless, but not men. That's weird, isn't it? It's sexist, yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Something should be done about that. <laughs> but like... How awesome would it be if you could golf shirtless? Like, I see it at courses, but it's always, shirtless. like, shitty, trashy courses. I mean, go all the way if you're going to do it. Why not? I know guys that golf barefoot. That really? sounds like a blast. It sounds comfortable, but it sounds, like, awful for grip. Yeah, probably not the best if you're trying to, like, rip a 300-yard drive, but um, that does sound, like, fun. Yeah, it does. One with the earth. Speaking of golf, um, I got to enjoy the U.S. Open this weekend. Mm, that's how was it man it was a trip yeah so uh for those of you out there who aren't familiar with uh the u.s open or majors in golf in general there are four every year there's the masters which is always held at augusta national in augusta georgia there's the pga championship which varies from course to course throughout america there's the u.s open which was held in tory pines this past weekend uh, which also varies every year from course to course. And then there is the Open or the British Open, which is in different courses around uh, Great Britain. And uh, Torrey Pines of San Diego was lucky enough to hold the 2021 U.S. Open, ran by the USGA. And because of COVID concerns, um, everybody who bought their tickets to the U.S. Open here in San Diego got them refunded in like April. Everybody. If you bought a ticket, no matter what ticket you bought, no matter what tier you bought, they refunded the tickets. And then they greatly restricted how many tickets were to be sold, and they made it incredibly difficult for you to repurchase your ticket. I don't know why it was such a grueling process, but it took a lot of time, way more time than it should to get tickets for a golf tournament. And it was all under the name of COVID restrictions, which, fine. After seeing what happened to John Rahm a couple weeks ago, John Rahm had a six-stroke lead going into the 18th hole of his third round with one round to go on Sunday. And on the 18th green, they told him that he had COVID and he would have to withdraw. It's like the worst thing for a golfer to, happen, to have happened. Luckily, he rebounded and won the goddamn U.S. Open this week in dramatic fashion. It was awesome. Yes. But, but back to what I was saying about the tournament itself, there were maybe 5,000 people on the course oh. on, on Saturday. Wow. I mean, it was 
empty. We hold a professional a PGA tournament here every year in, in January in the Farmers Insurance Open, and that thing is was ten times the party that this U.S. Open was. So, hmm. from my perspective, it was cool. I got to bring Jacqueline. She had never seen a professional golf tournament. She was seeing one of the biggest tournaments of the year up close in person with absolutely no obstructions whatsoever. So for her and for me, the experience was great, but you go in expecting a party, expect, you expect a lot of noise and action. People got excited. I'm going to be wrong. I mean, there was people around the greens that anybody who mattered and, and people were getting into it. it. It wasn't lackluster, but it just didn't have the feel of a major championship. It was very, very odd. So I was very pleased to wake up this morning and read an article in the Union Tribune, San Diego Union Tribune, where everybody from the USGA to the players to the spectators, everyone on down gave glowing remarks to Torrey Pine. It's 10 out of 10. Mm. Everybody thought the course design was incredible. You know, they make this tournament to be the the most difficult tournament that these guys play in, 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 in the year. It's supposed to be the greatest challenge in golf. And last time this particular tournament was held at Torrey Pines in 2008, the only two players under par for the tournament were Tiger Woods and Rocco Mediate, who went into an 18-hole playoff to decide the winning. So but all I'm trying to say is that it, was, it took the greatest golfers in the world and brought them to their knees. This Torrey Pines didn't necessarily do that, but it was plenty challenging. I was going to say, even John Rahman, he finished six under and won. Six under, so still that, and you know. most everybody was five under. Four or five. Yeah. Anybody who wasn't Louis Eustace and, and John Rahm was at least uh, five under. What was crazy to see was on Sunday, between the 11th and the 14th hole, which are it's an incredibly tough stretch of golf, Bryson DeChambeau was tied for the lead, and there were like seven golfers within a shot. And after those, after everybody got through those three holes, there was only two people in the mix. And they just all folded like cheap picnic chairs, man. It was wild to see. He got a triple bogey on one of those holes. Yeah. That's insane. It's, yeah, yeah, it's rough, man. Best golfers in the world. That guy won the U.S. Open last year. And uh, Torrey Pines took him down. So it, it was all in all a great tournament, man. I really, really hope they come back to San Diego. Um, there's whispers that the USGA wants to make this tournament more of an exclusive club-type um, circuit where I mean, municipal golf courses aren't aren't chosen and Torrey Pines is the pinnacle of municipal golf courses I mean mm, sure. it's the most beautiful public golf course I think in, in in the country at least in California so um so yeah man all in all tremendous tournament couldn't couldn't uh couldn't speak highly more highly of it just wish there was more rowdiness you know now did you like move around the course follow a certain golfer post up in one spot so you could see everyone all that yeah all that we got there as soon as we got there phil mickelson was teeing off so we we nice scooted over to the first green jacqueline's first professional golf shot she ever saw was phil mickelson jarring a uh, like a 12 foot putt for par it was awesome sweet so cool and then then we scooted over to the second green and Phil hit this tremendous shot from like 130 out from the sand, hit it to like 10 feet for birdie, missed his birdie putt, made par. And then we went around to the 50. And here's what was cool about it was that normally when you go to this tournament, you have to buy grandstand tickets. You have to buy like you have to pay extra to sit in the grandstand that that 
circles the green or, or the tee box, whatever hole you're on. And this was just open to anybody who wanted to go in. So we got there right as Jordan Spieth was was hitting his approach shot onto the green. He was playing with Paul Casey. Paul Casey drained a sick birdie putt. Everyone went nuts. Um, so we sat there for a while on 15 and then um, went back around to one, saw Bryson, saw his first two holes, went back to 15. And then for the end of the day, we camped out at uh, at 18 green and saw everybody come through. So it's a good time. Sounds great, man. Yeah, man. It was, it was, it was awesome. For sure. Anybody gets the chance to go to a professional golf tournament it is night and day what you would expect if you're watching it on TV to be there up close to see them hit the shots to see how how much people get into it I mean it's it's just as fun as going to just about any other uh, professional sporting event just it's not as loud all the time it's funny man on Sunday we were sitting around just like Father's Day brunch or whatever uh, over at Sarah's house and no one there really likes golf other than me and Zach, but I, I put the open on just so I could watch, you know, the final round. And by the end of it, I had her, her entire family sitting around this family room, all watching, all engaged. Like my sister is like, I, I don't even know why I'm into this right now, but I, I want to know who wins. Like I got to see this. And it was awesome. Like just watching John Rahm sink that those final two putts, bro, was crazy. He, he is an animal, dude. He hit the shot he hit out of that bunker. And then he sunk. I think that was like a 12 or 15 foot putt. Made it look easy. Curled it in the top right lip. That's also where he won his first PGA tournament in 2017 with an equally impressive putt on 18 going downhill. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was long. That was super long. So that was his first PGA Tour win. Oh, also, that's where he um, got engaged to his uh, fiance at the Torrey Pines... um, Cliffs right there, that hike. You've been on oh, that hike. Yeah, yeah. He engaged he proposed to his wife there. Classy. Um, oh, also he was the first time father this year and he won the US Open on Father's Day with his kid. I mean, just like as special as it gets, itself. man. Writes itself. That's amazing. Yeah, kudos to him. Love John Rom. Yeah, and how how do they not let him play that last round a couple weeks ago just solo dolo? Like you and your caddy, you can't just go and play the round, even Monday morning or something, like completely by yourself. You got to remove. I I thought that was ridiculous. I was super pumped to see him bounce back like that. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, obviously was playing good golf. Obviously, COVID didn't affect him. Whatever the rules of, of the PGA in regards to COVID, I'm sure they had to adhere to them for whatever reasons they had. And they had their reasons and they had to, you know, they had to appeal to a higher authority. And I get it. It is it is super disappointing. I mean, fucking six shot lead, like <laughs> right. mighty. That's I mean, Man. it's hard to win a tournament anywhere for any reason. Not to mention you have a six shot lead at a completely redesigned course. I don't know if you saw that, but during COVID, they took the memorial, which is right there in uh, in Ohio. It's in Ohio, yeah. Um, in Dublin, Ohio, they took the memorial and they literally uprooted everything. They redesigned mm-hmm. the entire course. So he won that that course last year. Comes back to a completely different course and just demolishes. Right. It for thirty six holes, seventy two holes. No seventy. No thirty. It's between thirty six and seventy two. Whatever thirty six plus eighteen would be. Math. <laughs> That's what it would be. It would be That's mad. what it was. Three this is the only other thing I wanted to ask you. Louis had a shot. He had to hit eagle on 18 to, to yes. force a tiebreaker. Yes. And he was in the rough, and I think he was like 240 out. Yes. But he laid up 
What do you think about that? Yeah, well, his tee shot was in the rough. It, mm-hmm. He didn't have a terrible lie, but it was in the rough. It was left rough. Here's what I think about what he, he was going through. You got 240 in, you have water in front, and it's probably like 230 to clear the water. Maybe 235. If anything goes wrong there, now you're scrambling to make a par and you're in jeopardy of losing sole second, which means a lot for money, so, okay. a lot for money, and a lot for your rankings. So it's not that he wasn't trying to win the Open. I mean, listen, he's a professional golfer. He feel like he didn't have a shot. If he didn't have the shot, he didn't have the shot. Yeah. I can't say anything. I would have loved to have seen him go for it. <laughs> but let's say he goes for it and he sails the green or it goes over the green and there's bunkers in the back which is what happened to a lot of players if they didn't hit the green. So then the next question would be, do you have a better shot of holding it from the fairway over the water and then spinning it back into a front hole location? Or do you have a better chance from hitting it from a bunker all the way into the back of the green? I mean, it's like a 40 foot, maybe Mm -hmm. even 60 foot green. So you have that much to roll downhill with water in front. I mean, I think the only play there was to lay up if he knew he didn't have the shot and then, you know, pray to God that he spins it back and holds it. It's just that the commentators during, during the final round were saying it was the easiest hole on tour, like this whole season, like by the stats, as far as like what people were doing. Par on five. It. Yeah. Easiest par five. It's the most gettable par five. Yeah. Yeah. And just to see him lay up with a chance to maybe tie, it was just like, I, I see strategically what you're doing. Cause yeah, that's a lot of money, but I'm like, bro, you're, you should go for that shit, man. Like that's a major. Yeah. Like that's not, not the farmer's open when it's just like an offhand, like an awesome tournament, but it's like a, it's a major. It's what you play for. Yeah. Well, I think that decision was pretty much made up for him when he, when he hit out of bounds on the 17. So on 17, the way that they did designed this hole for this tournament was that if you, go down the left side of the fairway you have a better shot of getting on the fairway and then getting onto the green in two for a birdie shot if you aim anywhere right of the fairway and you don't hit the fairway you're in a sand trap which isn't terrible but if you try and go for it on the left hand side and you're left there's a canyon right there and the canyon's in play and so what he did is he went for it. He went left to try and get in the fairway so that he could get a good shot in two. Mm-hmm. And he went out of bounds, took a penalty shot, and that pretty much sealed it up. I mean, he knew he needed Eagle going in to um, to tie after that after that, uh, after bogey. that yeah. And if he doesn't hit the fairway, he doesn't hit the fairway. If I'm him, at that point, he's playing for a second. Yeah. Essentially. So mm-hmm. sucks. I was kind of rooting for him. I like Louie. Yeah. I just wanted to see Rom get it after all that shit that went down. And I really wanted a, uh, like a four way playoff with DeChambeau and McElroy and Bryson and, oh, and, uh, John Rom. Brooks made a push too, man. When DeChambeau was in first, Brooks was like sitting two strokes back. And I was yep. like, please yep. do it, man. That but then happened golf gods. <laughs> yeah. Was not to be. <laughs> Oh, man. We got a lot of sports stuff going on, though, right now, this episode. This is going to be a good one, man. A lot of stuff kind of happened in the sports world over the last couple of days. I've seen that. You see what happened with Mr. Carl Nassib? I did. 
pretty big news, man. First uh, openly gay active NFL player um, at 28 years old uh, came out this week, uh, yesterday, in fact. Uh, and he announced it on Instagram, uh, which is like this new world. <laughs> no, no press releases, nothing like that. He just hopped on the internet and, you know, hey, guys, I got something to tell you. Yeah, right. And uh, I, th- I think that's that's awesome. I, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination he's like the first gay guy that has ever played in the NFL. Um, but I think it's great to see him, you know, come out and like not like hide in that closet and, and in, in, in a very like masculine league, you know, full of just, you know, manly men. Um, you're going to come out and say, yeah, I'm one of those manly men. I'm a defensive end. I'm, I'm a beast. This dude's huge. And I'm also gay. So yeah, that yeah. is what it is. And I, I just thought it was, it was courageous if you want to call it or just like a good move. Uh, he also announced that he's going to donate a hundred thousand dollars to the Trevor project, which is a, uh, they base it's a charity that provides like crisis intervention and suicide prevention to the LGBTQ plus community. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Good for him. Um, yeah, man. I mean, you, you and I both played, uh, football. So we, we know pretty well what it's like in a football locker room. I mean, it changes from team to team and obviously these guys are professionals. So it's much different than, than being in like a high school locker room for me, like a college locker room. But at the end of the day, a football locker room is a football locker room. And especially in the NFL, you're like just a hundred percent type a alpha fucking males. You know what I'm saying? And like, I don't know about you, but I know our team would just like, how do I want to put this? Like, I don't want to say like act gay. Cause that's not right. But we were very much like hands on playing with each other all the time, messing with each other, you know, like doing really like gross. Just guy boys will be boys. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like just, just to mess with me. So imagine being a closeted gay person in this locker room where it's just a bunch of alpha males and Mm -hmm. all they're doing nonstop is reminding you that they're alpha males in everything that they do and every way possible. They are trying to prove to you and to everyone else that they're the biggest, baddest motherfucker in there. And I'm not saying these guys are all meatheads and, and, and have zero room for any, any sort of intellectual capacity at all. Sure. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that I'm sure that I'm sure it took a lot of thinking and a lot of contemplation and a lot of time before this, before Carl Nassib said that he was going to come out and he didn't make it a big deal. It wasn't like this huge, like, look at me. I'm gay and we got to do this, this. It was just like, Hey, I'm gay. And uh, I've been meaning to say this for a while now, but now I'm gay. That, yeah. It'd be hard. Do, do you think it like makes any of his like past and present teammates like feel weird at all? Like showering in front of him or like, I mean, obviously it's a locker room, like you're naked. Like I'm, I'm sure he's like not making sexual advances against him just because he's gay. But like, yeah. do you think that's uncomfortable no. at all? I, I don't, I don't, I've no. never understood that, that angle, you know, I, I've never understood that. Like, that like 
uncomfortability by proxy because somebody's gay and also you're sharing a locker room with them where you will inevitably be naked in front of this person. But on the flip side, like if you were in a co-ed locker room with like a girl who you're attracted to and she's naked, you, you know what I'm like? I, yeah, but I, you wouldn't be. <laughs> like yeah. Where would, where would you be in a co-ed locker room showering with other women? Yeah. I've never, I've never heard of that before. There's co-ed bathrooms in college like dorms though. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. Stalled, I, I can't but. speak on it. I've never had, I've never had that experience. But I have had an experience of being in an all male locker room, showering with a bunch of other dudes. If I knew somebody in there was gay, would it make me weird? No. If he was running around trying to grab my dick every day, would it make me feel weird? Yes, mm, yeah, absolutely. For and sure. that is when I would say, stop it. I don't care that you're gay, but it's just not cool that you're, you know anybody doesn't matter gay straight or otherwise if you're trying to like it's assault advance on somebody sexually yeah that's a problem yeah that that that, it's like it's such a dumb argument it's such a lame argument it's such a non-starter like nobody's doing that that's not a thing do you think he's gonna get you know blowback receive like you think other teams are gonna talk shit to him on the field about it do you think he'll hear it from fans because like the first fans, I would think that would say shit to him if he wasn't a Raider. Our Raiders fans, you know, like it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's ironic. It's that he plays for this team because they have like one of like the worst fan bases ever, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, it's it's ironic that he's playing for them, and they've moved to Vegas, so it's not the same Oakland crowd necessarily. But they've yeah. always had this thing thing of like you know the black hole and just like these crazy motherfuckers in their fan section. So yeah, I, I'm you know, just curious. it's funny. I talk. I had a a really good friend of mine vendor um when i worked for Airgas, who was a i mean just a diehard raider fan and i knew him when the chargers were still in san diego so we we, we would have some words for each other but you know what <laughs> he told me and it sort of makes sense that as a raider fan he was all about the intensity of being a raider fan and all about showing up for the team and riding for the team but he said that him and everybody else denounces the stupid thuggish behavior that has sort of gained reputation for being a Raiders fan. Mm-hmm. And, um, but to that point is Carl Nassib going to hear a bunch of stupid, ignorant comments about him being gay. Yes. How do we know this? Because players hear stupid, ignorant comments for literally anything that other competitors can find an edge about whether it be their race or whether it be their size or whether it be you know and this isn't everybody i mean it's i I would imagine it's a it's a it's a select few people who are willing to cross a line to be ultra disrespectful in bringing up somebody's personal life on the field i'm not sure that that behavior is well respected throughout the league if you're going to talk shit and it's lazy but it stings. Nonetheless, I, I, I don't know that that's well-respected. I don't know that that's something that's encouraged or egged on. I could, I could be wrong. I feel like it's a hard era to talk shit in, though. Yeah, well, certainly, <laughs> man. I mean, like, yeah, hot mic There's here mics and there. Everywhere, and it's like right? you're, you might lose your job, which, mm-hmm. you know, for better or worse, that's just how it is. But you ask, do you think he's going to hear it from players or fans? The answer is yes and both, 100%. Yeah. Especially if he gets like a sack or he has like a three sack game and he's beating the shit out of this right tackle who can't who can't guard him and he and he gets his ego bruised. Yeah, I could see that happening all day. 
Mm-hmm. But good for him. That, that yeah, took, seriously, took good a for lot him. of courage, and I, I think you'll see a lot more players kind of follow suit. You know, I, I think there's definitely more than just him in the league. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, that wasn't the only thing that happened in the sports world. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, basically told everybody what we already knew. Figure out how to word this because it's a little bit weird the way that that they worded their ruling. But the Supreme Court ruled in a case about college athletics and the ability to benefit off of your name, image, and likeness. So it's not so much that they said colleges need to pay athletes. That wasn't what it was. But it was very much the recognition that these athletes have the ability to benefit off of their name, image, and likeness, and they can make money off of that. But because of very archaic, outdated, and uh, frankly, warped rules with the NCAA, any money earned off your name, image, and likeness as a student athlete of one of these universities um, would render you ineligible because you can't accept payment as a student athlete because you're a student athlete, you're essentially an amateur. You're not a, you're not a professional, so you can't do that. And so that is still coming to the Supreme court. That actually hasn't been ruled on yet. Um, Steve Berman, he's, he's the, no. So he's the co-counsel on both of these cases. There's, there's a lot of cases coming Supreme court's way in regard to this. Um, what I was reading said like 19 different States are passing laws in the past two years that rebuke the NCAA, how it's doing, how it has traditionally done business and going forward trying to change that so the name image likeness that is coming to them soon this decision uh that happened yesterday on on monday uh it was another unanimously affirmed decision by the supreme court um but basically it upheld the district court's judge's decision that the ncaa was violating antitrust law by placing limits on the education related benefits that schools can provide to athletes uh, so this okay, isn't okay. Them. So, that is so that is a little bit but you're good because that is that's definitely in the Supreme Court. And like I said, the lawyer, Steve Berman, he's co-counsel on this case and that case. Um, they're going to be pushing that case even farther now with this ruling. But basically, this is just saying that, like, it, it, it will allow schools to provide the athletes with unlimited compensation as long as it's somehow connected to their education. So that mm. can probably be warped a lot of different ways. Like, oh, well, they need a car to get to class, so we can, you know, I, I think it'll, yeah, it could go a lot of different ways. But that's basically what this ruling, uh, what what the what it came to. But it has huge implications for name, image, likeness for sure. Um, it's the first time in more than thirty years that the Supreme Court has weighed in on um, like the governance of college sports. The last time was in 1985, and that had to do with the NCAA like limiting the amount of time certain schools could appear on television. So, whereas this case was kind of like the NCAA throttling students' ability to make money, mm-hmm. um, before it was the NCAA kind of throttling schools to make money by appearing on TV too many times. Mm. So, got it. Um, so that was the last time they ruled in favor of all the schools and, you know, you, Ohio State, if you want to be, or Michigan, if you want to be on football or a TV, you know, all 15 games or whatever through your season, you, you know, you, you will, you're able to do so and sign, you know, those large contracts with CBS, NBC, yada, yada. So that, that's what that ruling was. 
this ruling uh, sides against the NCAA, the one that happened on Monday and is in support of the players. And um, like I said, Steve Berman, this this lawyer, he uh, he said they're going to be pushing even further because each of the justices released like their own. There's like a like a unanimous decision. So like they released one like press release, if you will. But then a few of the judges released like their own personal feelings on it, mm-hmm. like that went in more detail and how they came to that decision. And um, I think it was Kavanaugh was is like really, really against the NCAA here. And he, and he said as much in, in a letter, really detailed. And basically, now with seeing how some of these justices feel about this situation, all these other court cases that are they're coming in from these 19 different states that are all trying to change this, um, I think they're really going to put their foot on the gas and, and, and try to change this because those kids make millions of dollars for their school. And obviously, an education uh, is, I don't know if you'd say invaluable, because you can definitely put a price amount on what your tuition is. You know, but um, I, I, it definitely stands to be argued that certain players, especially, are bringing in way more money than they're, you know, able to to get. And if if they expect players to keep on funneling into this college system instead of some new system appearing and, and taking away a lot of their revenue and ads and everything, um, they're going to have to adapt. And at, at this point, it looks like they're going to be forced to adapt. Yeah, and for good reason. I mean, you know, the actual paying of college athletes is a weird it's a weird and 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 tricky subject um because it definitely changes the landscape of of all of of college sports but it's more or less been like the ncaa is taking a poopy diaper and just smearing it in the face of the athletes for years and years and years look at the highest paid public official in almost every state and it'll be a college football coach Mm. and it's stands for to, to reason that uh, the markets that these players generate, the, the amount of revenue that these players generate, which is in the billions, just college football alone is in the billions. And we know this because we can see the TV deals. We can see what coaches get paid. We can see what um, the friggin' president of the NCAA gets paid $4 million a year. Who makes him that money? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's not even, it's a direct line correlation to the consumption of these sports and the money they generate. And the NCAA has been a cash cow for as long as they've operated. And why would you want to give that up if you're the NCAA? I mean, it's like any other time that we speak of a bureaucratic institution. The deeper entrenched you get, the more money that gets involved, the harder it is for you to change course. So you would have to be the one that says, yeah, we are going to give up all these millions of dollars every year in order to pay the people that actually generate this money. Or we're so far entrenched in this that we're just going to keep adhering to the rules until we're forced to make something happen. It looks like that's what's going on here. Yeah, it always it puzzles me though because it's like not. I don't think the NCAA loses money. Like it's not like the NCAA is paying them; the schools are paying them. So it's like, what is what is the NCAA always had like such a firm stance in this? Because I, I don't think it costs them ultimately any more money. Uh, maybe then like the schools maybe would want more in like their broadcasting rights or something. I, I'm not really sure. No, I mean, it opens the floodgates because you're effectively taking money out of these people's pockets in order to funnel them, right? Like if you're going to, if you're going to use 
money, revenue from whatever source that it is, a, a TV deal, ticket revenue, merchandise, what have you. And you're going to use that to turn around and pay college athletes for whatever, like you said, whatever the parameters they set up. And that's just going to, that is just going to set up a whole new can of worms. But I mean, if you're doing that, you're taking money out of these guys' pocket. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's, that is where the money comes from. Okay. And even if it's not them losing a ton of money, it's them not being able to save face because they have so much cash and they can't hide it. Everybody knows how much money's in, 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 in collegiate sports. I mean, golly, just look at the the boosters that uh, support these clubs. I mean, it's such a ridiculously lucrative business to be in. And at the whole time, the only reason that is lucrative, the only reason that people watch are for the for the players and the athletes and the and the games and the championships and all that. And while if you were a student athlete at a, particularly at, at a, at a power five conference school, you got it pretty good, but you're still not benefiting from your work because of your amateur status. And, um, yeah, that's wrong. I think that's wrong for sure. I think that's wrong. And there should definitely be ways for these guys to, um, like any other aspect of American culture. I mean, where is it in American culture that you can do the best job possible and then not be able to benefit from your work? Isn't, mm-hmm. I mean, that's essentially the entire basis of the American dream. And, you know, maybe you'll make it to the league. Maybe you won't. Maybe you get injured in your junior year and you never play football again. Mm-hmm. Who are we to say and who are we to keep these guys from benefiting from what they do? I... I I think this was an inevitability. It just was going to need something like this to kind of start turning the tide and and making it happen. Good on them. Yeah, seriously, seriously, good on them. I wanted to ask you something because I'm yeah. uh, I am a little bit out of the loop in the baseball world. I'm, I'm warming up to it. I'm trying to become a Padres fan as as you guys have started to. Uh, it's not hard. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And They're Sarah great. used to work for the Cubs, so I used to have decent access get to go to games yada yada so like it's it's cool i've just never been like a baseball guy i don't know just not not in my dna i don't know why but it's a cool sport i love it i love to see the passion that especially you guys have for padres baseball that's really cool um and you were you were kind of on vacation when the story came out and i've been meaning to ask you about it but the MLB, and I think it just like went into effect like today or yesterday where they're really going to be cracking down on it but they basically announced that like um something that has been going on for a long time they are now going to start cracking down on it and that is like pitchers doctoring baseballs um with what i think are like legal substances but like that legal substance has an effect on the ball so it is now illegal and it's it sounds like it's something that's been around forever with like it's it's resin as i understand it and they mix that with sweat and that gives them like a better grip on the baseball so you can you know put more spin onto your curveball and control it better in your opinion, like, is this, is it really illegal? Like what they're doing and, and like what, how the MLB is approaching this mid season. Is that like the best strategy for them to, to accomplish what they're trying to do here? It is illegal. It's always been illegal. You can't, mm-hmm. the rules state that you cannot use a foreign substance substance. They give them rosin bags on the, on the mound so they can dry their hands and they can get a grip. You're not supposed to use any foreign aid. And 
it's been called out sporadically here and there throughout the years where an ump sees like a i mean this guy's just not even hiding it like he'll have like a giant like two inch patch of pine tar on his wrist right or he'll just do one of those and get a grip and the ump sees it's like what the fuck is that dude like you're not even hiding it you're out of here it's always been illegal but it's been more or less like a unwritten rule the batter's saying, well, yeah, it gives him a better grip, but that's less of a chance I'm going to get beamed by a 95-mile-per-hour velocity uh, uh, fastball that's moving up in the zone, aiming straight towards my neck, right? Like, that's what they were willing to get. They were willing to give up a better grip for the pitcher for not getting hit as much, right? So normally you would use, like, sunscreen or um, pine tar or something like that so that your grip on the baseball was better so that you had better control of where the ball goes. Now, with modern technology, we can know just how spinny a ball is. And when you're using substances, and the one in question this year, the one that's getting a lot of attention is this spider tack. And spider tack was actually created as a supplement for weightlifting if for like you're going and deadlifting like 750 pounds you put this stuff on there it's incredibly sticky and it allows you to have the grip that you want to lift the weight and the guys that made it were getting like orders from direct from baseball clubs they were like literally ordering it from them for their pitchers (laughs) it's not necessarily a bad thing but because we know just how much more spin rate that these pitchers are getting on the ball, and you add that to the fact that strikeouts were at their highest than they've ever been this year, and you add that at, that uh, to um, the batting average in the MLB being as low as it's ever been this year, hitters looking silly, you can't pick up on it. I mean, I would try to find a way to, to illustrate how hard it is to hit a slider, right? Because a slider comes out of the hand of the pitcher looking like it's going to be a dead strike right down the middle. And by the time you have a chance to react to what you see coming out of the pitcher's hand to swing the bat where you think the ball is going, by the time you make that decision, that ball has died out of the zone if it's a right-handed pitcher, it's out to the bottom right, and you look like a moron. It's a great pitch, but it's executed with surgical precision when you can get that grip on the on the ball, and you can just spin the shit out of the ball. Yeah. And MLB looked at that, and they saw the numbers, and they knew they had to do something. And so this is it. Do I think it's a good idea? I don't know. Time will tell. I'd be curious to see in a couple months if batting average starts to go up, if strikeouts start to go down, if batters start to get hit more. What is going to be the consequence of it? If it's nothing, then they made the right decision. But to just to go all on the one side, I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a slightly foolish move only because these pitchers have been using this stuff for conceivably ever since I've been in the league and it's become a part of their routine of their day-to-day it's almost a crutch for them and now they're going to have to figure out how they grip the ball as well 
and be as effective on the mound. So it's it's a super interesting story. Yeah, I saw that the Rays pitcher Tyler Glass now has, has been really critical of it, uh, along with a couple other guys. But they they within the first week of this kind of being announced got injured, uh, and they, they were really critical because they're yeah. like, we've been doing this for years. We just went through a whole spring training, continuing to do this in training, and you're going to tell us mid season we have to pretty much change everything that like we've mechanically been doing for years you know, and practiced and, and like had a feel for this ball. And now you're going to change it mid season and expect us to like still come with that same level that we've, you know, that we've been coming with. And like he got hurt the very first week. Cause he said he was mm-hmm. throwing the, trying to throw the ball harder and yeah. like control it. And he's like, he's like, I'm feeling pains in muscles that I've never felt before. Uh, and I've been a pitcher, you know, for 15, 20 years, whatever. So it's, it, to me, it's like, I, I'm cool with the crackdown. But like it should be something they announce like well before spring break, like hey, going into this season, this is what we're doing, and then you got a whole off season to prepare for this, and get it to a level. But like coming in mid season and and cracking down, it's just kind of weird. I don't know. Yeah, it is. Um, the advantage to the pitcher is unmistakable, and that certainly needs to be addressed. Sure. I think the MLB never gets anything right. Literally never. They're trying to do the right thing so that they have a good product on the field, but that the players are also uh, not super pissed off all the time. And I think I think they need to stop operating under these shadow rules or not enforce. You know, if it's a rule, fucking enforce it. You know, like the reason that this has become a problem because they haven't enforced the rules. And you got batters out there who, you know, they're professional athletes. They're mostly all big alpha males who aren't going to be using excuses like, Hey, um, I'm striking out because they're using this substance or whatever. But, and I don't really appreciate this all that much because he's on my team and I don't really like anybody snitching on anybody, but Fernando Tatis Jr. Went on, uh, the Dan Patrick show a couple weeks ago and he, and Dan Patrick asked him straight up, is it harder for you to hit a ball because of what the pitchers are using? And he goes, listen, it's always been hard to hit a baseball. It's never been easy to hit a baseball. Now it's impossible because of the sticky shit that they're using and they're using it all the time. And it, the spin, it's getting super spinny. And this is the guy who's tied for home runs in the, in the national league. Uh, he's one of the better players in all of baseball. And he's saying, look, dude, like, this is not, this is really, really serious stuff. We're seeing it. It's, almost unfair of what we're looking at at the plate if you really want this to be the case then fine continue to use it and we're just not gonna be able to hit the ball and MLB knows that their product isn't worth a shit if there's no offense nobody wants to go see a game where the, every game is one yeah. run and a pitcher's duel and everyone's out. striking out and nobody's <laughs> having fun nobody wants to see that MLB yeah. is a tough thing to watch through anyways um, so they had to do something. The other day before Jacob deGrom came out of his game against the Cubs uh, last week, he retired like the first seven or eight batters. He had like eight strikeouts in the third inning and he got pulled. <laughs> it's like, Jesus wow. Christ, dude. And now he's hurt because he's probably trying to throw the ball differently or something. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, man. Uh, something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. I, yeah. I would, I would, I, I, how you strike a balance between great hitting and great pitching and, and finding, you know, equality of both i don't i don't know but it certainly can't be because of a 
super far advanced sticky substance that um, that is you know makes it impossible for for hitters to to hit the ball. I, that has to be changed. But I don't expect this to get much better anytime soon. As a matter of fact, I expect the MLB to fumble this uh, all the way because that is what they do. As a baseball fan, is it as egregious as the steroid problem that they faced, which was kind of like a complete opposite problem of the spectrum where you had hitters just destroying pitchers, and now it's like flipped to where it's pitchers that have the advantage on hitters. Like, is in your head, is it egregious as everyone, you know, taking steroids and, and juicing up to smack homers? Um, probably not because they're they're getting ahead of this particular problem, the spider attack problem. Um, mm-hmm quicker you know the thing about the steroid era is that it didn't make hitting a baseball any easier it just made you hit the ball longer because you were able to get stronger faster and you were willing to sacrifice your body to do so i don't i mean i don't think there's any room for steroids in the game but to say it's more egregious, the steroid area, maybe only because it lasted longer, but it's not easy to throw strikes at the speed that these guys throw, and it's certainly not easy to hit those strikes. So, I don't know. Is it more egregious? Probably not. Probably not. Do you think baseball would be really cool if they let them take steroids and use sticky stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. No? You like nah, it pure? Nah, because then you just get a bunch of juiced up meatheads and <laughs> and people, you know, throwing Spider-Man. 99, per hour, 99 mile per hour <laughs> sliders. Yeah. So you just get a bunch of big dudes whiffing at pitches. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you would true. get at the end of the day. <laughs> nah, it wouldn't be good. You know, I, I don't know what would be good. I, I think a return a little bit to some small ball. I mean... Nowadays, these guys just swing for the fences, man. That's all they do. They just swing for the fences. They just yeah. try and hit home runs all the time, which is fine. We love home runs. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It'll even out for sure. But What movie is that when he's like, the small ball bullshit? Is that Major League? <laughs> is that Major League? Yeah. I, I think so, yeah. The small ball. That's all I could think about when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be a Friendship News Hour if we didn't have some doom and gloom. It's been a lot of sports today, but I know you had a uh, a really important story, uh, something we both feel really strongly about, um, but not necessarily the happiest thing in the world. No, it certainly isn't. Um, I was uh, scrolling through Twitter yesterday, and, and uh, uh, Jack Posobiec retwe- or tweeted this story about uh, the UN, uh, about people uncovering a UN sex ring in Haiti and nobody going to prison for it. And I, I had to click on it. Now this story is old and I'm not talking about like old in the terms of our current news cycle, like two months ago, this was from 2017. Um, and uh, journalist by the name of Paisley Dodds, who we're currently in talks with, uh, she's at, on holiday right now, uh, at, uh, UK national, we're hoping to get her on the show to talk about this because it seems like uh, from her writings, both prior and, and present, that this is an issue that hasn't stopped. So um, back in 2016, uh, Hurricane Matthew hit Haiti and just devastated the place. I don't know if you guys remember, but it was it was rough. And Haiti 
is a poor country that held high-end resorts, and then after this hurricane, it was just a poor country. Um, and then it was, a, it was a poor country that was ravaged by hurricanes, so there was no infrastructure, there was really no way to get food, and um, as you might imagine, humanitarian aid came through. And um, the particular humanitarian aid we're going to talk about is UN peacekeepers from Sri Lanka. They came in, and in, in exchange for cookies and snacks and even a couple dollars here and there, they wanted sex. And this isn't from adults. These are from boys and girls as young as 12. Um, the girl that they identified as victim number one told the UN that she didn't even have breasts yet. But between the ages of 12 and 15, she had sex with nearly 50 peacekeepers including a quote-unquote commandant who gave her 75 cents. Um, and why this is an issue, why we want to bring it up, why I felt so strongly to bring this up today is because there's no justice for this kind of stuff. There was an, an AP investigation on, on UN missions in the past 12 years from, from 2017. So this would have been from 2015 to 2017. Um, found that there was 2,000 allegations of sexual abuse and exploitation by peacekeepers and other personnel around the world, which signaled that this crisis is huge. And there was more than 300 allegations involving children, but only a fraction of those uh, perpetrators served jail time. The reason is, is because the UN is not legally justified to persecute these peacekeepers, it's up to the jurisdictions in which they're operating in. Well, there is no jurisdiction in Haiti. It's a devastated country that doesn't have any government and is, you know, run by absolute crime and corruption. So they knew, these guys knew, these guys from Sri Lanka knew as soon as they were getting in Haiti, they knew exactly what they were going to do. And they knew that they weren't going to get in trouble for it because they couldn't get in trouble for it. There was nobody to persecute them. Um, there were 134 Sri Lankan peacekeepers that exploited nine children in a sex ring from 2004 to 2007. Um, that's according to a, a UN report, an internal UN report that, that the AP got a hold of. And when they reported on it, the AP reported on it, the 114, 114 of the 134 peacekeepers were sent home and none of them were sent to prison. Um, there was a, there was a, a commission report by the United Nations who, if you ever have the chance to look at the United Nations, they are just the most corrupt organization in almost every fashion. They suck. Um, and this just kind of solidifies my feelings for them, but they, they had a commission report that promised to, um, take measures to tackle the, the, the abuse going on by UN peacekeepers. And, for a full two years after they made these promises, the children of Haiti were passed around from soldier to soldier. And in the years since, the peacekeepers have been accused of sexual abuse the whole world over. Um, I even struggled to read this, but I think it's important because we need to drive home just how crazy this is and that nothing's ever been done about it. Nobody's even heard of this. There was a, a case in Haiti where a, a, a boy, a teenage boy, said he was gang raped in 2011 um, by, by peacekeepers from Uruguay who filmed the entire thing on a cell phone. Um, 
dozens of women in Haiti said that they were raped. Uh, and, and they called it survival sex because they had to rely on these people for sustenance. So they had no choice. I mean, oh, oh, it makes me crawl yeah. in my skin. This report goes on, and I think you guys get the point. There's really no need to, to, to dig in any deeper here. But in response to the AP's like investigation to this, the UN's head of field support said that the international body was aware of shortcomings in the system. That was their answer. Yeah. That no one gets arrested. There's, oh, yeah, we're aware of shortcomings. What kind of fucking answer is that? That's like these people are the scum of the earth, assaulting children, and that we're aware of shortcomings. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the reason that I'm upset about people like Alex Jones, who are such nut jobs and they like to talk about global elites and things like that. But this is this is real time what he's talking about without the without the crazy theatrics. Yeah. The people in the UN are there for power. Okay. Nothing else. And when called upon to help countries that have been ravaged by natural disaster, it's very evident what they what they bring to the table. Why they're even an organization anymore makes zero sense to me if they if this is the help that they're going to provide. Nothing about them has told me in the past four to five years that they even other than I mean other than bringing delegates from all nations together to talk about these issues that's all they do is talk about it there's no there's no action being done it's just for power and they don't do a lick of good so uh, we really 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 are efforting um, the the journalist who wrote this report who is continuing to write on atrocities um, that are uh, the responsibility of, of organizations like the UN, like the World Health Organization. Her name is Paisley Dodds. Um, and we really, really hope to have her on the show soon so that she can go into more depth about how this can stuff can, go, can, can, can occur and where it's still occurring and where we can shed line it in, in the future because it's, it's important. And we disagree on quite a bit, but that is... This is one thing we can stand quite united on, that this is this is wrong and, and it needs to be put to an end. And these people got to be held accountable, man. These organizations have to be held accountable. Um, yeah, it's it's funny to me. I don't understand how maybe I'm just not cultured. Where is it acceptable? Where do these where do these people come from? What is it about other areas of the world and here? What is it about people that allow them to justify the abuse of children? I can't just explain it away by derangement or being sick in the head or just wanting to exploit. No, like it's got it's a power thing. It's got to be because you see, I mean, the same thing where you have this this Jeffrey Epstein and this whole island. And it's these rich elite people that like feel like they can get away with anything. It's either like, a, I know this is so wrong, but like, I know I'm so powerful. I can get away with it. Or it's just like a power dynamic where like. Like these, these people in Haiti, like these, they don't have a choice. Like you got to do this or like your family can't eat for the next couple of weeks because you have no money. Like it, it, they're just taking advantage of people. And it's like a sickness. I, it's the only way I, I can think that it would, it makes sense not to justify it in any means, but it, it, that's the only thing in my head that like makes sense for why this happens all over. Like it seems like it does. And, and for the for the UN to not completely fold upon itself when something like this comes out, um, 
to accept responsibility and then also to re- recognize that they serve no good for the health of the globe in, in any in any way literally in any way if this is what you're sending for help yeah to a country ravaged by a hurricane and that's the best you can do fuck off you literally serve no purpose that mm-hmm. is very valuable land in new york city and I'm sure it could go to much better organizations or, or to a much better cause than the stupid United Nations. Fuck them all. Speaking of good causes, though, we'd uh, be fools to not bring up our friends, our sponsors over at Gun Barrel Coffee. Drinking a good, smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself, but one that helps American heroes like veterans and first responders, it is that much better. Gun Barrel Coffee is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across the country. From their medium blend, the Moab, their Double Dark, the Battleship, their Dark Roast that I've been drinking on lately, the Space Force, and even their CBD-infused blend, the Medic, all their coffees are smooth without that acid or bitterness you find in so many coffees out there. And now they even have their very own hot sauce called the Big Guns. It is delicious. They offer 14 different blends and roasts in which you can get whole bean, ground, or single-serve pods. Right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use promo code FNH10 and you'll save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at gunbarrelcoffee.com. Please do so. We love them. We support them. It's a great cause. Gun Barrel Coffee. Damn good coffee. Damn good cause. Damn good show. Uh, If you want to talk to us, we'd like to talk to you. In fact, we'd love to. Uh, Whatever medium you'd like between the next three. Uh, Twitter at FriendshipNH, Instagram at FriendshipNewsHour, or email at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. That is B-U-M-M-E-R-D-U-D-E dot M-E-D-I-A at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next time. Bye-bye.